Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for the fifth quarter. I'm Nicole Hayes. And I'm Lucy Race. And we're delighted to be joined by award-winning investigative journalist Michael Warner to discuss his recent book, The Boys Club, Power, Politics and the AFL. It's a brutally honest and confronting expose of how things work in that big house at Docklands. First of all, congratulations. This is an incredible piece of journalism. Why did you write this book and why now? G'day guys. So thanks for having me. I wrote the book because having worked in as a member of the AFL media and accredited AFL journalist for about a decade, but having spent the first 10 years of my life at the front end of the newspaper, the general news and writing about Crown Casino and those sorts of things, having then gone into the AFL world, I was surprised and I sort of talk about this in the first chapter of the book is I love the game as you guys do. I have played it since I was a kid and I'm a mad Richmond supporter. And so there's no, I, I want to get that out there off the top. I love Australian rules football, but it was the machine that I encountered that really surprised me. There's such a powerful institution, the, the AFL in Victoria. I mean, some of their commissioners have been known to, probably joking, I don't know, but they, they say with the demise of the Catholic Church, the Victorians look up to the AFL for leadership. I'm not sure about that, but that gives you an idea of how much they rate themselves. And it's a very closed shop. The boys' club that I talk about is not just AFL house. It's actually the system of player agents, sadly senior journalists, broadcasting. It's the whole network that I call the boys club. I tell the story of the book through the prism of integrity investigations, because that's what we all know, having followed the game, it's, you know, whether it's the West Coast Eagles, illicit drugs crisis, or the big daddy of them all, the Essendon saga. And that was the other reason that I wrote the book, because it frustrated me that you would report on these big scandals. The weekend would come, the games would start again, and the system would just move on. The, The media would move on. It's like, yeah, but didn't we just sort of discover this horrible secret over here, the, the football, and when the matches come on, they're lucky, unlike politics, that the caravan moves on. So I thought if I put it all in one place and could tell the story, football supporters could find out for themselves what I say is a system in need of reform. As a sports journalist, and particularly one that focuses on football, it's a pretty big deal to take on the AFL. Has there been any fallout? 
Oh, not really, because I think that I was persona non grata long before I wrote the book. So I think their strategy has just been to ignore the book. The mainstream football media hasn't really been a talking point, certainly not publicly, not on any of the shows, but it's bubbling away in the background. What I have been pleased about is that before I wrote the book, the club presidents have been pushing to have an independent review of the AFL system, the governance system. It hasn't We haven't had a review of the AFL since 1993, David Crawford, the Crawford Report, which led to this sort of supercharged commission model that we have today. But what's happened since then, and this is one of the tenets of my book, is that the, the real power in the AFL has gone from the commission to the executive. And that was first under Andrew Demetrio and now under, under Gillian McLaughlin and you know, people like Richard Goiter, in my view, they don't have enough of an understanding or of a hold on what's actually happening in the organisation that they sit above. As a board, and I think that's partly by design, most of the commissioners live interstate. Very few of them have any football IQ. They might be very good in whatever the field of business that they, they are in, but this is a football competition. Let's not forget that. And so that, that's another factor in the book. You mentioned Richard Goiter. In an interview with Mick Malthouse, he, and just to clarify, Goiter is the AFL chairman, he said he hadn't read your book and had no interest in it. He said that it's not a book that I respect. What does that say about the AFL's capacity for self-reflection and what would it take to change that? Well, first of all, it's, hard, it's interesting that he doesn't respect something that he hasn't read. But yeah, you know, it was a pretty good endorsement, I thought, of the book from from Richard Goiter. Well, what we really need is, as I said, it is an independent review. The problem is, there's 18 clubs, and to get anything done, it's a bit like herding cats. They have to get you know 75 percent, 50 percent, in some matters, of the pre- presidents to actually agree on something. And one of the other aspects of the book is so many of the clubs are financially dependent on the AFL. Not only that, but the most some of the boards are actually handpicked by the AFL, so they're not actually going to vote for change. So you, when you, you throw it all into the mix, that's what you're left with. We've also got COVID. You've got to remember that it's very difficult to do anything at the moment. You've got to keep the competition alive. Governance is not the priority at the moment, and I understand that. We've got to try and keep the competition afloat. But I do think that there's an appetite for change and I also think that they underestimate the anger in the football community. People who pay the money put bums on seats. There is a, a, a strong sense that I'm picking up that football fans also think that the governance of the game should be better. And that once we get through COVID, I think there will be change. You mentioned earlier that the response to the book amongst mainstream football media has been pretty muted, and that's despite many of the really important and shocking findings in the book. What's going on there? Well, that's the system, though. One club president I interviewed for the book actually said to me, stopped the interview and said, look, why do you do this? Why don't you just swim between the flags? You could make a lot of money. If you just played ball, turned a blind eye, go on all these shows, and, and I, it was actually quite pathetic because, you know, like I want to find out actually what is going on. Not all journos are looking into integrity matters. That You know, they're covering the game. They're photographers. They do a phenomenal job. You know, the game is so well covered. It's the best run sport commercially of any sport in the country. It, it's 10 goals ahead of its its nearest competition. Well, the other scoreboard that I say is just as important is integrity, accountability and transparency and the way that you treat people. And on that one, they're 15 goals down and they don't seem to care. They didn't actually invent this product. 
the AFL. The game has been successful for 150 years. They were pulling crowds of 100,000, you know, 70 years ago. The product sells itself. They've done a pretty good job, I think, of, you know, and this, I don't talk about on-field product at all in the, in, in the book, but, you know, I think they've done a pretty good job and the, the coaches have probably got some responsibility in this as well of making the product sometimes unwatchable. But deep down, it's a religion in this country and uh, they've got the keys to the joint. And I think the, the thesis of my book is that they need to be better at the way they run the game, a lot better. One of the things that you touch on is there's kind of like two camps of people. There are people who never get a second chance and there are people who seem to have nine lives. What do you think is the main reason for that? I think if you're in the family at the start, it's obviously it obviously helps. The story that resonated the most there was Dean Bailey, who was the, the coach of Melbourne during the tanking days. And part of my journalism about the Herald Sun, I uncovered a few years ago the actual transcripts of the interviews that the AFL Integrity Department conducted, which actually proves that nine club officials all but confessed to the AFL that they had a conspiracy to lose matches to get draft picks. But the the AFL's love affair with having preconceived outcomes in, in matters, they found that Melbourne didn't tank. They, I can't remember the exact wording, bringing the game into disrepute. It was one of those wide encompassing. Dean Bailey was the fall guy and Dean died. Uh, he got cancer not long after and he's one of several people that I felt was failed by the game in the, in the name of brand protection one of the things that really concerned me in the book and the Victorian casino regulator has been exposed with the Crown Casino failings being disbanded. The Melbourne tanking saga and the Talia brothers' leaking affair before a final in 2015 were matters that the, the regulator should have been across, but such is the way Melbourne works that they weren't. And so people like Dean Bailey and James Hurd, obviously, people have different views on James Hurd and it's not as black and white as, as with maybe with Dean Bailey. But I hope that if people read my chapter on the Essendon saga, they will actually see the way that James Hurd was scapegoated. He's not without blame. The way that that transpired was the way that the AFL saw it right from the very beginning when they were presented with a scenario that one team could be banned from their competition for two years and the flow-on effects that that would have meant for, for TV um, revenues, etc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm Lauren Rosali and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. The constant theme of a lack of transparency in the way that the AFL conducts itself is uh, across the whole book. One of the challenges of that is that the media often seems complicit in obfuscating and even functioning as a PR arm almost for the AFL. How do you disentangle that relationship? 
It's not just the AFL. So many big organisations have become sophisticated in understanding how to manipulate media. And with the AFL started out as a one-person media unit back in the day, you know, 30 years ago, and now it's a, it's not quite as big as Daniel Andrews' media unit, but it's it's a pretty sophisticated machine. And they've become very clever at getting ahead of the game, leaking things at certain times. As a journalist, absolutely, you take the information where you can get it, but you also have a responsibility to, to make sure to know that you're not being played. Uh, and I felt in the Essendon saga, for example, that the AFL used the media to set the the agenda or the to have the general public have a sense of what they thought had happened so that the AFL could go about doing what they wanted to do. And when you see the backroom manoeuvrings of what they were doing, I don't think many of the journalists who covered the other side of the story would ever concede that they were used by the AFL. I try to demonstrate in the book that that's what happened. You detail in the book some gender-based bullying, some historical cases of gender-based bullying and harassment in the AFL. And that is one aspect of the book that I have seen picked up in mainstream media conversations. Mm. And Gillan McLaughlin has said that he's open to further conversations and making sure that people who might have been in that situation are doing okay. Have you seen change in that area? Well, they did announce, Well, again, they didn't announce it. It was sort of leaked out to the media that there was going to be an inquiry of some sort. Rhonda Brighton Hall was said to have been appointed to to look at that. But again, I don't I haven't seen any terms of reference. I certainly don't know of any victims who have been interviewed as part of that process. You know, if if Rhonda is given ac- enough access, then I think she will be alarmed at, at some of the things that she finds down there. That was certainly an aspect of the book when you you talk to some of these men and women who you know some said that they felt at various stages that they would be better off not being alive haven't from their experiences at working there it's 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 pretty damning let's hope that they have changed in that space apart from the obvious problems posed by the pandemic what do you think's the biggest challenge facing the AFL going forward i say that they really need to have this full blown independent review where someone can come and look at what's the best model to run the game do we need eight or nine commissioners do we maybe do we do what they do in america where we have a, a one commissioner who who runs the game sort of like a a, a super CEO? Do you have what you have in England where you have the Premier League looking after itself, but then you have another body that looks after Australian rules football outside of the elite competition so that we make sure that the women's competitions, Tasmania, which is just a disgrace, junior football, country football, do we look at doing it a bit differently? Because one of the one of the issues the AFL always have is the competing interests of the elite level versus, let's not forget, Australian rules is not their game. It's, they've got the AFL, but what's happened is it's sort of morphed into the fact that they run the whole thing. And uh, if you look at the state of football in Tasmania, they've failed. Who would drive that? I mean, you're talking about there's a groundswell of discontent among fans, but you need some leadership there. Who would drive this or force this change? Well, the clubs are the only ones. The AFL Commission serves at the pleasure of the clubs. 
they, in the old days, they would appoint commissioners and they would kick them out if they didn't like them. But it's gone so far the other way that all the money is at head office, that the AFL would start to pick its own commissioners. Occasionally you'd have people like Eddie Maguire helping pick other commissioners, but I've always said people like Eddie Maguire walked both sides of the street when it came to the boys' club because he he was a part of it. So it, ultimately it's people like Andrew Pridham, Sydney Swans, President, Chairman, he's really strong, Peggy O'Neill, Jeff Kennett, David Kosh, these sort of people who are saying we need to change. They're the only ones who can do it. And the problem is we've got a pandemic going on at the moment. And the other way it could change as well is when, when you get a new administration in there, you know, Gil McLaughlin won't be there forever. The next choice of CEO is going to be interesting. Will it be someone from within the boys' club or will they go outside? Don't put too much money on it being uh, an outsider. <laughs> you are a football fan. What makes you hopeful and optimistic? Well, this morning they announced that Basha Hooley had tired and as a mad Richmond supporter, they they put up a goal that he kicked at the start of the Richmond dynasty, 2017. It was Richmond's second goal of the game. I don't know if you've seen it. That's what I love about footy. I love the... The fact that, and I'm a Richmond person, but everyone else has their own stories. Richmond were pathetic for 37 years. That was my whole life. And finally they got onto this journey and now I've got a two-year-old and a six-year-old and they, they've got Tiger stuff all over the house and they love Dustin Martin. So that that's what I love. It's just that the purity of the game. And I, I understand that it's a business and it's got to be run like one. I just think that they need to sometimes put the commercial interest to the side and actually do what's right. But if to answer your question, I just I've, I love the I love the game and what it means to people and the joy that you can can have out of winning and losing, but mainly winning. And so, yeah, I, I've I've always had a strong sense for the game. As do we. I just want to thank you for helping us wrap our heads around this complex network of influence that the AFL wields. And congratulations again on this groundbreaking book. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you when they let us out of their house. (laughs) Thanks so much. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.